You're listening to Torah Classes with Rabbi Mendy Goldberg. This class is a recording from a live class. Good afternoon. In today's class, we're talking and discussing the fifth Torah reading, or sixth Torah reading in the book of Deuteronomy, the Torah reading which is called Kiseite, and tells us over 74 mitzvahs are mentioned in this week's Torah reading. It's one of the Torah readings that has the most mitzvahs in it. And many of those uh, mitzvahs that are mentioned in this Torah reading are all about marriage, relationships, and if uh, and how we go about them. So what we're going to talk about today is going to discuss some of those mitzvahs, but even more so discussing the concept of marriage and relationships, of how it's expressed and looked at from the view of the Torah. This husband comes home one day and tells his wife, by the way, I invited my friends over for dinner tonight. His wife tells him, what are you, nuts? I'm so swamped and wiped out from work. I don't have patience to cook or do anything. The kids' toys are all over the place. I still have laundry for the past week. Why did you invite him? The husband answers his wife and says, you know, this guy is thinking of getting married. I wanted to show him what married life looks like. What is the best tip that you would give your children when they're getting married? How would you describe and explain the challenges of a relationship and how would anybody advise a couple embarking on the concept of a relationship of marriage when divorce rate is over 70%? How do we look at the different challenges that come our way when we have a relationship and how do we go about it? Imagine if we would be able to write a code of relationships based on the Torahs and the values of the Torah. What would it look like? How does the Torah give us the guide and what does the Torah tell us for a blissful relationship between husband and wife? We are going to look at this and look at the Torah's recipe for the greatest relationship based on the teachings of this week's Torah reading and looking at it from an interesting debate on how one word, or even the vowels and the pronunciation of one word in this week's Torah reading. As we mentioned, this week's Torah reading is Parshas Kisete and tells us about 74 mitzvahs in this week's Torah reading. Over 20 of them have to do with relationships. Whether it's the first verse about the Jewish soldier going out to war and he sees a beautiful woman that he wants to take home, the laws pertaining a Leverite marriage, the laws pertaining defaming another person, or laws of divorce and marriage how are discussed for the first time in this week's Torah reading. And amongst the laws about marriage, it tells us about the obligation that a man has to a woman during the first year of marriage. And the Torah says as follows in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, verse 5, When a man will take a woman to himself, a new woman he should not go out to war, not work with anything difficult, but he should be clean to his home, for an entire year and he should rejoice with his wife that he's taken. What the Torah is telling us is as follows that a fellow, a man who gets married the first year he's not to go too far, he should dedicate his life towards the new marriage that he's now entered and he should be constantly with his wife, his bride the first thing and foremost he doesn't go out to war to put his life in danger but even more so nothing is he obligated to do. What does that mean? He should not go away from his house even for whatever reason it may be. The first thing that the Torah is telling us is that we find in last week's Torah already we mentioned about the people who were not obligated to go to war. 
We're talking about a war which is a war to annex land of the land of Israel, a war that was not for a mitzvah. There were three people that did not have to go to war. Somebody who just purchased a new home, somebody who just purchased a vineyard, or a person who was doing any type of work for whatever reason, and he was afraid of going to war. These people were exempt, and the Kohen would announce it before going to war, say, you are exempt from the draft, you don't have to go to war. But even these people, though they were exempt from the draft, they would have to work behind the scenes, meaning work at home, on the home turf, in the homeland, and making sure that there was food for the soldiers, making sure the streets were cleaned, and all that of, and so, uh, that was taken care of for the soldiers, but they were not in the actual front of the war. Over here, the Torah telling us that a person who got married, the groom, the husband, not only is he not obligated to go to the front, but he was not obligated to do even the extra work of cleaning the roads or making the food, anything of what it may be in any way. His job was to stay home and be with his wife. Maimonides, as well as the other codifiers of Jewish law, the Chinuch, tell us that this is not only a mitzvah which was then, when the Jewish people had a draft to go to war against their enemies while they were living in the land of Israel. This is actually a continuous mitzvah which exists until today, that somebody who gets married his first year, he should not go away far from his home, even if it's for business or for studies or for other things. He has an obligation to stay with his wife for the first year. Maimonides puts it as in his Sefer HaMitzvah, when he enumerates the 613 mitzvahs, mitzvah uh, 214, a mitzvah that a, bra- a groom should be with his bride, his wife, for an entire year, not travel outside the city, not go to war, as well as he has it as a negative commandment, in negative commandment 311, that a groom should not leave his, uh, should not leave his home for an entire year, he should not go into things which were difficult, and that would keep him away from home. And the question that we can ask, what's the purpose of this? It's not enough that they have the vacation of the first seven days, the Sheva Brachas, they celebrate together, they need an entire year together. So we have a translation of a great famous Talmudic scholar by the name of Yonasam ben Azil, where he translates the word in this week's Torah reading, where it says, and he will rejoice with his wife that he taken. He puts the Aramaic word to it, which means that he will be rejoicing with his wife. That means that the groom should always be next to his wife for the first year. It's like this, they can have time together, spend happy time together. As the codifier of the Chinuch, as we mentioned before, the commandment is that the groom should rejoice together with his wife and therefore should not be in other places. This way, they're having a happy life together. What this is telling us is that love is something which develops over time. Love is something that the longer we have it, the more we can understand it and appreciate it. Love is something which not to what many one is used to, like today in the novels and all the different movies that we some may enjoy to see, that there's love at first sight. That's not love. There's excitement. The Torah is telling us that love and true love is something which develops over time. Love is something which you have a complete trust and faith in the person that you're with. Love is something that, to the greatest extreme, is something which was able to come only because of getting to know the person, being with the person, and the more you get to know them, the more you get to love them. Think of it sometimes. You ever look at the contrast of a bride and groom being walked down the aisle by their parents? 
while the bride and groom are ready to jump into excitement into the wedding glamour the husband and wife the parents of the bride and groom look more serious and solemn where over here they understand that while one's excitement and passion is the love the other's love is something which is from an experience that they come together bringing their child into marriage you'll notice something very unique in the Torah and this is brought down by a very interesting uh, commentary by Rabbi Shamshim Rafal Hirsch he says if you by Abraham and Abraham Isaac and Jacob you'll notice the contrast of how the Torah uses the terminology of love by Abraham love is not mentioned at all by Isaac it says that he brought her into her tent and only then she became his wife and he loved her and by Jacob we see that he saw her bringing the sheep and already just by bringing the sheep he meant she saw Rachel it was love at first sight what's the difference between the three types of love that we see of Abraham Isaac and Jacob Abraham and Sarah lived a life of traveling from one place to the next they were always there for other people they were always on the run if you want to call it that they were being chased by this one chased by that one so their life there was no revealed love between the two of them it was more that they had a common denominator of what they were what they had a common goal of what to achieve they were both people that wanted to bring monotheism to the world and it took whatever it took so on the externalities it doesn't seem like they had a love but their love was deeper than a love that can be expressed isaac he first married rebecca only after marrying rebecca that he developed a love for her it wasn't something that he saw maybe right away but the more he continued to be his wife the more his love grew for her and therefore the torah uses the terminology and it was for him as a wife and only then did he love her the wedding is not the time when they love each other that's exactly the root and the cause for them to love each other by jacob because their souls were so intertwined initially because they were meant for each other from day one and they realized and they recognized they were two people that were consciously aware of their common denominator and not only of their common goal that they were two halves of one whole already at the moment when they saw each other they already had that love for one another but over here is something phenomenal interesting rashi our foremost commentator on the torah when he sees the explanation of rabbi yonatan ben Uziel, who rabbi yonatan ben Uziel says and they will rejoice with each other for a year he says rabbi yonatan ben Uziel is making a mistake here that's not what it means it doesn't mean that they will rejoice with each other on the contrary visamach and the man will rejoice make the woman happy over here he says it doesn't don't think that you're here in the home together and you're going to be having a fun time together on the contrary it is the man's obligation to make sure that the that the wife is happy he has to give her attention he has to look after her and as it's brought down in the zohar very clearly the joy is not his but hers he has an obligation to make sure she's happy now if anybody ever read rashi many times never uses this terminology that a talmudic scholar is making a mistake we're not talking about some guy that just came up with an explanation these are explanations that are based in the torah 
Over here, we're coming along and saying, why is Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel making a statement? And he says a statement that he's making a mistake. Interestingly enough, Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel is buried in a place called Amuka in Israel. There's a great uh, legend that those who are looking to get married, it's a skula, it's a very good omen to go to the gravesite of Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel to pray at his gravesite to get uh, to find a, your proper match. Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel was a great scholar to the extent that the Talmud says that when he was studying, if birds would fly above his head, they would get burnt and consumed from the fire of his great uh, holiness that he, while he was learning Torah. So there are some that want to say in a joking manner the reason why his gravesite is a place and a legend for, it, for people to find their right match is because if a person thinks that he has his eyes in the sky, that he has some special bird waiting for him that he's going to marry and nobody else is good enough for him, they go to Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel and burn all those ideas and only then can you hit reality and marry the right person. But that's just a little joke on the side. But what's the, why is Rashi so adamant that Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel is making a mistake? And over here we can see that, Rabbi, that Rashi over here is telling us something deeper. He says Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel is not the one making a mistake. But we're talking about an individual that enters marriage thinking that marriage means that I am going to rejoice together. That's where the mistake comes from. If somebody thinks that marriage is something spontaneous and all of a sudden I'm going to get married and a secret button's going to happen and we're all of a sudden going to be rejoicing together, you're making a mistake because what marriage is all about is giving value and worth and recognizing another person. Marriage means to see the other person, to give. Not only It's not about getting, it's about what you're going to give in the relationship. Marriage is recognizing that the other person that you're with, you give them value, recognize them for who they are, and give them that opportunity to grow and to become the best person they are. What does it mean, love? There are so many self-help books, so many books on relationships, and each one tries to talk about what love is. The great Kabbalist, Rabbi Yehuda Lowy, the morale of Prague says, and puts it in one line, the greatest way to achieve love is to bring joy into the other person and recognize that when we bring joy into another person, not only are we making that person happy, but in re- indeed we are becoming happier because of it. When one person thinks and sees the glass as a mirror and all he can see is himself, what am I getting from it? Then all of a sudden that relationship is not going to last. The relationships that, are, that last, that are cultivated, that become better over time, are relationships that a person puts himself into it for the other, not for himself. When a person says, oh, a type of relationship, and he says, you know, might start with a little, um, little argument and a little debate. Look, I'm helping them, I'm giving them, or whatever it may be. But if a person's always looking what they're getting in return, how are they getting from it, that relationship won't last. And therefore, Rashi comes along and tells us, Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel, if one thinks the mistake is that you're going to be rejoicing together, always looking for what you're getting from it, that relationship will not work out. True love and joy is when you put into relationship, when you're there and your sole objective is to make her happy, then you know that that relationship will continue to blossom. 
we look at it and we see that the Torah tells us the obligation in the book of Exodus that a man must give his wife three things her clothing her clothing a place to live and then he uses the, the concept of being together with his wife but the Torah uses the terminology oina oina can mean many different things ona can also mean a time but a ona from another interpretation also means the desire to be heard from the word onet to answer the main obligation that a husband has to his wife is that he should be there not only to give what he wants to give but he has to give her what she wants to, he has to be there to receive from her as well he has to be able to hear what she has to say he has to feel that she's there he has she has to know that there's somebody that's listening onet answering to her requests he has to be able to give her what she wants to be able to receive. He has to not only give what he wants to give, he has to give what she wants to get. Think about this. Jacob and Rachel. Jacob was working for Rachel for so long. For seven years, and the Torah tells us it was like just a few days. How is it possible that he worked for seven years and it was just a few days? Imagine you go to the airport and they tell you, you know, your wife's coming and they tell you, wait seven years. You'll think every single minute there's a century, is a neon. Over here, what he's saying was seven years and it felt like only a few days. It was because if you recall, who was the one bringing the sheep to the water? Who was the shepherd for Laban? It was his daughters, Rachel and Leah. When Jacob comes along and makes the suggestion that he should become the shepherd instead of Rachel and Leah, what was he really doing? He told Rachel and Leah, you can go on vacation, you can relax. I'll do all the heavy lifting. Every single day that he went out to shepherd the sheep, it was only like a few days because he knew that he was doing it for his wife. For his wife that they should be able to relax and be at home. This obligation felt this way. He felt so good about it that even though he was working tirelessly for seven years, it felt only for a few moments because it was part of the relationship, the love that he had for his wife. There's this great scientist named by John Mordechai Gutman, great scholar, and he was one of the people that was did a lot of research into relationships and so on. And one of the questions that bothered him for a long time, he says, what is the thing that causes most people for a relationship to dwindle and to fall apart? And he did this type of research to be able to see what causes people to get divorced, what causes relationships to foil, what is it that keeps relationships together. And in 1990, he gathered 130 fresh, newly married couples who he would want to follow for the next six years to see what was it that kept them together. He looked at these couples and see what they do together, cooking, cleaning, music, going out to eat, whatever it may be. And he found one thing that made a difference, one thing that caused the relationship to blossom and that same thing, when not done, caused the relationship to fail. He found that he told these couples to communicate with each other, sending messages to one another. And he looked and he saw how they respond to the messages was how the relationship would eventually happen. If a husband sent a message to his wife and said, Wow, look at that beautiful bird out there in the garden. And the wife said, eh, Who cares about birds? He knew that that relationship would not end up lasting. But if the wife said, 
wow, that is an amazing bird. Where did it come from? And showed a little bit of interest into the, what the husband said. That relationship blossomed and continued. In six years, he saw the relationships that continued to go were those that answered to the text, answered to the response, answered to the letter, were interested and had a keen interest into what either spouse mentioned. Those people, the relationship continued. Those that just pushed it aside and said, meh, who cares, and just dismissed what their spouse said, those people, the relationship, unfortunately, didn't make it. They say about a great scholar, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Ayerbach, who was known as a very well halachic authority for many years in the land of Israel. After his wife passed away, his children started taking care of him and were there in his house to make him breakfast, lunch, and dinner as good children. And as he was sitting down for breakfast, they were going to make him a salad like his wife would make him every single morning. To which he responded, no need, you don't need to make a salad. They asked him, why not? Doesn't, didn't our mother make for you a salad every single morning? She says, yes, she made it for me, and that's why I ate it. But I don't need the salad. I don't like the salad. I only ate it because she made it. Another very fascinating example of the same idea. The Rebbe, his, one, of his, uh, one of the housekeepers, once related to Rabbi Groner, as she was crying and mourning after the Rebbe's passing, she said, every single time when the Rebbe would come home to have tea with his wife, which was a commitment he kept to every single day, she said, the Rebbe could have had the hardest day of work, but the moment he walked into the house, all of a sudden, you can see the burden was lifted from him. As he saw his wife sitting by the table with the tea, those 20 minutes, nothing in the world mattered. She was able to remove any of the burdens and any of the tiredness and any of the difficulties he had that time as they were just sitting together at that moment. She was mourning and crying after her passing and said, who would remove, who would be there to be able to bring him into that peace of comfort, that place of serenity, something that his wife was only able to do. Being there for each other, whether they recognize it or not, but being there and being in and recognizing and understanding what we need from each other, not only what we need, but what we can help the other for, most importantly, on a mental, spiritual level, is the most important thing that one spouse can do for another. So let's go back now and understand King Solomon, probably the wisest of all men when it came to relationships as he had, as we know, hundreds and hundreds of women of all shapes and colors. He had women Jews and non-Jews that converted from the living in the land of Israel that came from abroad. He was able to tell you that probably he was the best that understood relationships. But in the book of Proverbs, we find seemingly a dichotomy when he talks about relationships. On one hand, he says, When you found a woman, you found good. And on the other hand, he says, I found nothing bitter in life more than a woman. So which one is it? Can you make up your mind, King Solomon? Is a woman the best thing in life? Or is a woman the worst thing in life, even better than death? And worse than de death is better than a woman. Which one was it? So what was King Solomon saying? How does it make sense to be on both sides? Either is a woman a good thing or is it not a good thing? Is marriage a good thing or not a good thing? But in fact... King Solomon was telling us the key ingredient of how a woman can be the best thing in your life 
and how marriage can end up being the worst thing in your life. King Solomon explains to us and tells us as follows. Read his words again in the book of Proverbs. If I found a woman in my house, I found good. Meaning, if I got married and I see that what I found in my house, it's not about me, it's about the woman that's in my house. That every single time that I walk into my home, I know it's not about me, it's about the person that's there. Then I found the best thing in my life. will be absolute good and bliss. Because as long as you remember your obligation, your obligation to her, and that's going to be your center point of your life, then you found good. All your life, you will see good. You will see happiness and joy. However, the second husband, where in the words of King Solomon, ani, if you walk into your home and the first thing you think of is yourself, your I, your capital I, you got married only to be able to fulfill your desires because what you wanted, that somebody else should take care of you and do your laundry and cook your dinners and everything else? I'm sorry, you got the wrong place. This is going to be a bitter ending. This is going to be worse than death. And therefore, as he talks about in the book of Maimonides, Maimonides tells us, our sages have taught us that we have to respect our wives even more than ourselves. Love her more than to yourself. This is all about, Maimonides is telling us there are, two part, there are two parts of this. There's honor and there's love. A spouse needs to not only respect each other, not only give love to one another, not only respect, but he says respect before love. Because sometimes Maimonides is explaining to us the pyramid, the ladder of how a person is able to build a relationship. As a person is supposed to respect one another, and you'll then see that the respect brings and cultivates love. The word respect in Hebrew doesn't just mean kavod, but it also comes from the word koved, comes from heavy. Maimonides says the first and most important thing, it may seem a little difficult, but recognize that a home that's strong and fortified comes and is based on respect from one spouse to another. Over here, the Torah outlined to us the concept of relationships, what it really means to love one another. This simach is ishtayim, when you will love your wife and you will make her rejoice with your wife. It doesn't mean rejoice with your wife. As Rashi tells us, you have the obligation to make her happy, to rejoice that she is happy, and then you ultimately are happy as well. We conclude with the concept that we're in the month of Elul as well. In the month of Elul, as we know, is the abbreviation of Ani Dodi Vidodili. I am for my beloved, and my beloved is for me. One may ask the question, at the end of the day, why should I work so hard for my spouse? Why should I have to go to the other side of the, you know, of the world? Why do I have to change myself to, for somebody else? Ani Dodi, the Talmud, the verse tells us, I am for my beloved. Why do I have to start? Let them give me. Why can't it be 50-50? Why does it be after 100 and 100? You know, and every, type, every time I do counseling and somebody comes to me and about the relationship is about to break up and all they're talking about is, I give him so much. I'm there, but what do I get back? It's all about what I get back. Why do I have to give so much? Is always the question. And over here, the Hasidic explanation tells us in the words that King Solomon tells us in the Song of Songs. There's a famous verse made into a Hasidic tune. Kol doi di doi fake. 
our beloved is knocking on the door he says open up the door my sister my bride my love why does it say my sister than my bride how does that make sense if it's your sister then it can't be your bride and if it's your bride then it can't be your sister isn't that an oxymoron so if we look at the story that's mentioned in the book of song of songs it's a story that goes back a love story in the spring where the rain stops to fall the sun is shining and all of a sudden the spring fresh air is coming in and this love story that king solomon develops as as follows the woman goes amongst the vineyard and she sees this beautiful shepherd she puts her eyes on him and wants to meet him again and she's always thinking about him dreaming about this dream boy that she's going to meet and she says Lee, my beloved is for me i am to him but the day passes the night goes on she doesn't see the shepherd again he doesn't come she finds out by the guards where is this shepherd where is this love of my life i'm looking for did you see him and as the verse continues in the story that king solomon develops the shepherd the, the guards say he must be i'm looking for the person where did you see him if you see him please tell him what will you tell him what should we tell him tell him that i'm sick in love with him i'd like to see him but they laughed at her what are you talking about really until one day she's lying in bed she goes to sleep hurt that she can't find the love of her life but as she lying in bed she hears a knocking on the door called day 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 fake it's the voice of my beloved is knocking on the door he says please open up my sister my bride she answers in anger now you come after i've already put on my pajamas i've already brushed my teeth i've already taken a shower now you come but the beloved doesn't give up he tries to stick his hand into the handle to try to open the door but then as he tries he then disappears into the night at that point she gets up and says i am for my beloved and my beloved is for me i can't just sit back in bed i need to do something to be able to go out there and get my beloved and then i will see that my beloved is for me and the question is again why does he say open for me my sister my bride if he's your sister then she can't be your bride the same question we may ask how is it possible that abram told sarah say that you're my sister how are people going to believe that he was a sister a sister marrying how does that work out that doesn't seem right and as we mentioned many times before in different classes that what actually what he was telling her was abram was telling sarah now is the time that we realize that we are really one entity what's the difference between a sister a brother and sister relationship to a spousal relationship a brother and sister relationship is essential you cannot separate you cannot sever do what you may come may there's nothing you can do to separate a brother from a sister however when it comes to a relationship that somebody gets married to somebody it's a relationship that they themselves renewed and therefore unfortunately at times we t- see that it severs over here abraham was telling sarah our relationship is now at the moment that it's a relationship between like a brother and a sister even if we're going to come to the challenges of egypt it cannot be severed or separated because we're inherently one the same idea is that we talk about the concept of opening up my brother my sister a person has different types of relationships 
there's a relationship which is a renewed relationship. A relationship which is something which somebody makes up on their own. A relationship which develops. Such relationships, they work out sometimes and unfortunately not all times. But a relationship that a person realizes that this person is half of my soul. This person is inherently mine. This relationship that you recognize, it's not what I'm getting from it. This is what makes me complete. This is what makes me wholesome. That a relationship cannot be severed because you're half of one whole. Over here we look at the story and we look at the understanding and appreciation. And over here when he says, Open up, don't open up my beloved because you are in love with me. Open up because we are inherently one. When we are inherently one, when you are my sister, then you can appreciate that you are my wife. Then we can come together as one wholesome soul. You know, when God created all the creatures in the world, He created animals, humans, but the only thing that was created out of one unit was husband and wife. When God created the animals, there were separate males and separate females. But when He created the human, He took Eve out of Adam. They were one unit because they will come back to be as one unit. Animals, they go, they have their relationships, they make, they procreate, and then they move on. They don't have to be with each other for the rest of their lives. When it comes to humans, they need to be with each other because they are essentially one. An interesting story recently happened in the land of Israel. Unfortunately, a terrible accident happened. And uh, a bus lost control and killed people that were standing by the bus stop. A mother and two two daughters were killed at the spot. As well, a little distant as well, there was a young woman just recently married who was severely injured to the extent that she lost her two legs. While she was sitting in the hospital, regaining her strength, her husband, young, fresh husband, sitting at her side, she turns to her husband and says, let me ask you, would you have married me if I would look like this six months ago? Would you have married a woman that was missing both her legs? The young husband, struck by this question, thinks for a moment and he says an amazing answer he says you know as a young boy if I would have seen a woman with missing her legs would I marry that woman probably not but now this accident didn't happen to a young woman independently this happened to both of us this accident didn't happen to you it happened to us this is exactly what the month of Elul is all about where God tells every single one of us, open up my sister, my bride. We are not a husband and wife only by God that we can separate and go our own merry ways. We are not a husband and wife that we can divorce. The relationship is renewed. What God is telling us is, open up my sister, us and God are essentially one. Yes, we went through a year of turmoil. Yes, we may have gone through a year of challenges and difficulties, gone to Egypt back and forth. But as long as we remember that we are God's sister, there's an essential relationship that we have with God that can never be severed. Just like in the human relationship, as long as the husband and wife recognize that they're there for each other, then that relationship will only develop and get better over time so too we must recognize that our relationship with God is not something that can be severed. 
We are there for each other. God is there for us regardless of what the difficulties are and challenges we go through in life. God is telling us we are essentially one. Coming the high holidays, let's capitalize on that essentiality. Let's recognize that we have that inherent relationship with God that can never be severed, never be divorced, and will be inscribed and sealed in the book of life, happiness, health, and everlasting relationships. Sorry that there was no live class today, but I hope you enjoyed this recording. God bless you, and have a wonderful week.